Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Mike Posner. Mike is an American Grammy-nominated singer, songwriter, poet, and record producer. You may recognize some of his hit songs, including Cooler Than Me and Please Don't Go. Mike also has accomplished some amazing physical feats, including walking across America and summiting Mount Everest. So please, help me in welcoming Mike Posner to the Adversity Advantage podcast. What up, Doug? Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for coming on. I love your story. I love your music. I love the man that you've become. And I think a good place that I'd like to start is you made a post yesterday um, on Instagram. You're talking about how the adventures are kind of on hold right now. These experiences have kind of come to a close for now. And now your next mission is sharing that the lessons that you've learned along the way from the walk from Everest. So what was it about those experiences that shaped you so much and inspired you so much personally to now want to um, pay it forward and share it with everyone else? Well, they just completely obliterated the person I thought I was. You know, I was like a skinny Jewish kid from suburb of Detroit, successful in the music industry. And that was sort of my life. I go to studios in West Hollywood and write songs and occasionally go on tour and, and that kind of thing. And that, that was my life. I was doing really well in that sandbox. I call it the sandbox. And uh, just had a few friends uh, pass away. My father passed away and I had this feeling like there's more here there's got to be more than the sandbox and uh that's what led me out to to try to walk across america and god willing i was successful and then and then led me up to the top of the the tallest mountain in the world mount everest and um i realized after doing those things and and also I, i've cultivated or created time for myself to do some real uh reflection i spent some time at, at this buddhist center where i spent like this year, I spent three weeks there in just complete solitude by myself and a lot of time on that meditation cushion. And all that to say, these things are, I don't list them as like uh, ways to brag. They're privileges, you know, like most people would never get to do those things, uh, let alone like all three of them and the three I'm seeing, like the walk, the, the meditation and the climb. And so I feel like I, I have a commitment and a, and a duty to share the things I've gotten from them because uh, those were all life-changing experiences. And I do want to share the, the things I've gotten from, from them. And uh, Everest, you know, it's freaking dangerous, man. So I really like scratch my itch as far as like getting out of the sandbox, you know, and it's like, okay, so what did you get? And if it was all just for you to like come on a podcast and list your accomplishments, well, that's really BS, man. You know, if you can make it about more than you and, and share the stuff that you got, then that's that's you're adding value, hopefully, to, to other people's lives. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think from what I gather from the things that you've achieved, it's really humbled you in a way. Right. Because I know that you have been open about struggling with with fame and, and the ego and the ups and downs of what all that brings. But I guess along those lines of you sharing the lessons. I know you recently spoke to Ohio State like earlier this year. You spoke to the kids there. Like, what were, what were some of the lessons that you shared with them that you've learned over the last couple of years? Oh, there's so many, but uh, a few like uh, that I that I include in my little storytelling, my little talk. When I was walking across America at the beginning, I I made it open, meaning that anyone I said anyone who shows up, if you find me, you're welcome to walk with me. And Doug, you know, had had somewhat of a following from my music, 
And um, so people people start coming from like all over the country, they drive from all over. And I always ask them two questions. The first was, why did you come here? And sometimes they, they just were fans of my songs and they wanted a picture. That was great, no problem. Um, sometimes they were like college kids that wanted to see if they could actually find me like some sort of strange scavenger hunt but other times it came because they had nobody else to talk to and so you know they were professionals caught under the weight of their own lives they were their fathers had also just died there they were soldiers who had who had killed and seen killing and we were all walking just kind of healing in our own ways and um one day this young man showed up and he said you know it's crazy he goes i've always wanted to do what you're doing to walk across America, but he was 19. And he said, uh, but I'm just too young right now because I need to get a job and get my career started and, and make money before I could do that, before I could take time off to do that. And just a few days later, an older gentleman came up. If I had to guess, he's maybe 60, 65. And he said, another version of the same thing. He said, uh, you know, it's always been my dream to walk across America. And I came close a couple times, but now I'm just too old. My family wouldn't let me and my body wouldn't let me. And I started to see the difference between reasons and excuses. The difference between a reason and excuse is there isn't one. 99 times out of 100, our reasons are simply excuses wearing fancy clothes. And um, not to just make that about other people, because before I even started the Walk Across America, I punted it for five years and the thing about the walk started to research it and uh, I realized there's a strategy to it. You know, you typically start in the east, go west, and you typically start early spring in an effort to finish before winter. So you walk spring, summer, fall. And, you know, spring would roll around and I would always have a reason. There was an album I needed to finish. There was a tour I needed to do to support the last album. There was a wedding I needed to attend and one year turned into two, two years turned into three, three years turned into four, four years turned into five and just realized, you know, no one's gonna roll out a red carpet for me to do this. Never gonna be a right time. And in fact, people are gonna roll out their red carpets of their reasons why I should not do this. And I heard them all, you know, from agents and managers, you're committing career suicide, no one's gonna care. You're gonna do irreparable damage to your body. It's like, I, I get it but this is my life and I'm the only one that, that gets to live it. So I just made a decision after five years of punting that, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna live my life according to my reasons, AKA excuses. I'm gonna live my life according to my commitments. And I made a commitment to, to walk across America. That's, that's powerful, man. You talked about, you talk about the importance of commitment and, I know that that was not only important in your walk across America, but in training and preparing and climbing Everest. And I'm sure like I would imagine that almost everyone listening to this hasn't climbed Mount Everest. But I would say that there's a lot of people listening that have a mountain in their head they need to climb, whether that's a mountain of getting over addiction, whether that's a mountain of getting over a breakup or losing weight. I can go on and on with examples. And I know you experienced some like mental blocks you know, as you're going up the mountain or even across America. So like, what were the, some of the things that, that you do or you, that you did when you've experienced a mental block to, to kind of get through it and keep going, even though it was tough? 
Well, one thing is is something I got from uh, doing the landmark forum. I, I I freaking love this landmark forum. Have you ever done it? I haven't. I it's so powerful. I've done it twice now. The thing I'm gonna reference, I really got from that, and that is integrity, and the the power and the importance of my word. So, before I did the landmark forum, it was kind of like my whole life was just sort of five minutes late. You know, it's like, hey, we're going to do a podcast at 11. Well, I'll show up at 11.15, you know. Yeah. And uh, that sounds like, oh, maybe that's not a big deal. But the problem is, like, when you can't show up at 11, when you said you're going to show up at 11, then when you make a bigger statement, like, such as, I'm going to climb Mount Everest, you don't even believe yourself. You don't even really believe yourself because you can't show up at 11. How the frick you going to climb Mount Everest, you know? And so I really got that from the landmark form the first time I did it. And so that was before the walk. And it's like, I'll make, when I say I'm going to do something, I do it, period, big or small. The way you do anything is the way you do everything. Mm. So when it came to Everest, there were a bunch of reasons why I wanted to do it. I wanted to see if... I could. I wanted to explore my potential. I wanted to become somebody I was proud of, but also I was there because I said I was going to do it. And what happened was, as I went higher up the mountain and it got harder and harder, Doug, like just less and less air. And guys are going up and dying, not coming back. Had a friend get a pretty bad frostbite on his fingers avalanche came close to to getting us one night and the other the first three things i stated like you know i wanted to see if i could do it i wanted to explore my potential i wanted to become somebody i was proud of they all turned to mush as i went higher up the mountain it's like explore your potential like were you gonna die exploring your potential seeing if you could do something that's a pretty dumb thing to die for you know pretty selfish because you're gonna be dead and you know, you leave this big chasm in your mother's life and this whole thing and uh, become somebody you're proud of. Like, so you're going to die for your own pride you're, or you're willing to die for your own pride. Well, that's pretty stupid, too. So all those three things were like those reasons became mush to me at, at camp, too. And the only thing I had left was that was my integrity. So that's the only thing that took me higher up the mountain. I was like, well, I see what I. I do what I say. And I said, I was going to do this. I'm going to do it. I don't even want to be here anymore. It's scary. It feels horrible. People are passing away. Like my head hurts. I just it, like physically, it feels bad just to be alive there. And that integrity is powerful, man. Literally, literally took me from camp two to camp, to camp four to the summit. And, and more importantly, back down safely. Yeah, man. Integrity is everything. And I, I think a lot of self-esteem and self-confidence gets built from integrity. And you kind of alluded to that, to where it comes from keeping the, the commitments that we make to ourselves and doing the things that we know we should be doing on a daily basis, right? It's being committed to taking care of our health, being committed to being a good person, being committed to um, connecting with the right people, being committed to meditating. And when we do that, we feel better about ourselves because we know that we're showing ourselves love. We know that we're showing ourselves um, that we care about ourselves. I want to go back to um, something you said in one of your songs. It, when I heard this line, 
It was awesome. I think it was from the song where you were going to meet Black Bear. And the line was, my ego's hard to tame, but fame remains the best card to play. What did you mean by that line? And do you still struggle with taming your ego and using fame to fill it up? Oh, for sure. Uh, but to answer the first part of the question, what I mean by that line. So um, Doug is quoting a, a line from this sort of like hip hop opera album that I that I wrote called Operation Wake Up. And it's a completely fictional story in the song. I'm basically talking about trying to attract members of the opposite sex. Right. And so that's the context of the line. But, uh, but it's in the midst of this sort of like wild, dark fictional story do do i struggle taming the ego yeah of course every day man you know every day like and when i uh, use the word ego i don't mean just pride or uh, or or the braggadocious part of my personality i mean the entire personality the whole outward facing social identity of mike you know whenever i'm defending that thing or like curating that thing it's another thing you'll you'll get in landmark is how much of your life is about looking good, like just making sure the thing that is Mike is like consistent and looks good in all these different scenarios. So yeah, I struggle with that. And you know, um, I'll give you an example. Like a guy um, invited me to go on his podcast a year ago. It's a pretty big podcast, and I said yes. They, he just DM'd me on Instagram. I said yes, and then he never followed up, and I never followed up. So it never happened. And I re- a year passed, and I realized that this guy, he's pretty well-known, right? He's pretty famous. And I realized that I would never, I realized it's in the landmark form, I would never follow up. I would never write him back. Because I have to look like to myself, I don't really care about this. This is no big deal to me. I'm not a fan of yours. You're a fan of mine. Blah, blah, blah. All really like stupid, kind of embarrassingly dark ego things. And I realized like, I'll just blow that opportunity. I'll just never follow up. I'll never go on that podcast. And, and I get to hold on to this ego thing. That's going all, this whole thing just in my head, not in his, not in anyone else's. Like I'll just, I'll just ruin it. So I got things like that 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 run on autopilot. And um, yeah, for sure. I think like these tools that are out there. The meditation is big. I'm a meditator. Meditate every day for the last probably nine, ten years now. Um, the landmark form. These tools, you know, kind of. We'll show you some of the malware that you have running. And they, and they don't make it disappear either. But now you just become aware of sort of some of the programs you got running in the in the shadows of your own uh your own thing. And then and then you have a choice, you know, when you see them show up, you can decide, do I want to listen to this thing or not? We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second. But first wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May and Earth Echo Foods. Danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products such as Cacao Bliss, which I take every day, either in my coffee or in a smoothie. It starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. The result, fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, 
boosting your energy and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it is friendly to keto, gluten-free, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So go to earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bobes. Again, earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bobes. Check it out for yourself and learn more about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. If you ask those that know me best, what has been an ongoing struggle of mine, it's definitely been my sleep. I am sure many of you can relate to this. One small change I recently made is that I started taking Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers, which is the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium. I've taken lots of magnesium supplements throughout the last decade, and this one is rare in that it actually makes me feel relaxed when I take it. Listen, if you're having trouble falling asleep or staying asleep, one of the best things you can possibly do is start getting enough magnesium. But please do not run to the store to buy the first magnesium supplement that you find. Most magnesium supplements use only the two cheapest synthetic forms. That's why I recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. Simply take two capsules before you go to bed, and you'll be amazed by how much better you sleep and how much more rested you feel when you wake up. For an exclusive offer for my listeners, go to www.magbreakthrough.com forward slash Doug and use the code Doug10 to save 10% when you try Magnesium Breakthrough. So go to www.magbreakthrough.com forward slash Doug now to get your exclusive 10% discount. Now back to the show. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I can definitely see what you mean by like, you want to be the one who's playing like hard to get, or I'll let them chase me to be a guest. And if I respond, that means that, you know, I care more or that I'm a fan of theirs. And, you know, like you're right, it's just the ego talking. And yeah, we, I've struggled with similar things too, maybe not in that capacity, but along the, the same lines. I know one of the things that's, that's helped a lot of people and it's helped you with, with ego is spirituality. And I know one of your biggest spiritual experiences was back when you, you met Ramdas. So talk a bit about like where you were, like mentally, emotionally, spiritually, because I know that was a pretty deep experience for you. I was somebody that uh, was curious. Maybe they call him like a seeker. You know, I read like some Wayne Dyer books, some Eckhart Tolle, some Ramdas. I had listened to a lot of their talks. And I was already meditating. And then one of my best friends, Milo, you know, long story, invited me to go meet Ram Dass on Maui. And I said, yes. And I went and basically we got there. We went to Ram Dass house and he had a stroke. This is after he had had a stroke. So he's in, you know, sort of a motorized wheelchair. He speaks very slowly. And he sort of proceeded to tell us a bunch of things I'd heard him say before in like his talks and his book. And Doug, I don't know how to explain it. I just could feel palpably like how much he loved us. And not like the love of like, oh, you're, you did something good for me or you were a good boy. It was just like, I just love you just how you guys are. And it was, it was real, like more real than reading about spirituality in a book like it was real in my body physically i felt i felt like i had taken drugs or something you know like i felt so connected to everything i was looking around and i felt like in love with the rest of the gate and the sky and the and the dog shit on the ground and like i it was a very like um transcendent experience for sure and it all came not from his words, from, his, I guess, like his being and I guess like his love for us. I don't know. That's why I, what I started to think about. So the reason the experience was powerful for me was 
the stuff I had been curious about, I said, oh, oh my, this, this stuff is real. You know, like he, he's done the work. He's been meditating all the whatever. And like, I can feel it. And it sort of changed my life goals from chasing the next external hit to like, hey, I want to make people feel like that when they're in the room with me. And how do I do that? And what, what like really is more important than that, than becoming that guy? And so that sort of, that sort of was an inflection point for me, for sure. Meeting Ram Dot Stuff became less like theory and more like, yeah, you do the work. Other people can feel it, yeah. you know? And a lot, obviously, about love. And I gather that it might be tough for you in a way for with the self-love because I would imagine that you get you feel a lot of love from fans. You feel a lot of love from followers. You feel a lot of love when you've done some of these achievements. So what are some of the things that Mike Posner does on a daily basis to show yourself some love and making sure that you're doing it in the most authentic way possible? That's a good thing. You know, like, you know, I, when I think about my routine, you know, it's like I meditate every day. I'm starting to get a lot more serious about what I put inside this this body. It, our, our mutual friend, Doug Evans, got me sprouting my butt off. So big shout outs to him. Um, you know, I'm eating probably four ounces of broccoli sprouts a day that I grow myself. You know, just getting the food from the farmer's market now, making sure it's organic, that kind of stuff, you know all the products and stuff, whether it's like hair gel or toothpaste, like making sure it's all like good stuff. That's not going to give me cancer. That So I, th- I, th- I th- think that uh, exercise is a bit is real important to my life, you know, so exercise every day, but that's sort of on the physical plane. And I'll say the self love. It's weird. Like, you know, when you, when you sort of like transcend the ego or the mind, which when I say when you do that, I don't, I'm not saying like I, I crossed the finish line, I'm done doing that. I'm saying like it's a daily thing where, where you go behind the thinking mind. You're not even there. Right. But the, like the ego part, the Mike Posner thing, like, you know, you sit in your meditation and it goes deep. Like you're not breathing. Breathing is just happening. And so there's no self-love you have to give there because the, the small self is is gone. It's an illusion at the end of the day. You know, the idea of Mike is like, who is Mike? You know, it's like this loose amalgamation of memories that I've patched up with like movie archetypes that I've woven a story around. And just like in the the example of the podcast, like it only exists in my head. It's not a, it doesn't exist like this pen or it's not a real thing. So I say that's probably more of my practice is like, going behind the thinking mind or underneath the thinking mind where there's no self even there to love, you know, it's just, you're just connected to to everything. Yeah, you're you're right. And I think we all have this idea that we should, we, we love being liked. We love being loved. And I bet it's a little bit harder for you because in a way your livelihood depends on how much you're liked, right? Maybe how many albums you sell or how many streams you get, or something you post on social media. I mean, in your career, that's your that's your livelihood in a way. So I think it's awesome that you you balance it all out. Um, I want to talk about like transitioning like out of fame because I've heard you talk about how fame can be addicting, and there's a lot of people, unfortunately, they get so addicted to the fame that their what's next or their more becomes drugs, becomes alcohol, and they end up going down this this slippery path that could lead them to the depths of despair are even worse to, to death. So what have you, what have you done personally to, to manage that 
so that you can kind of keep yourself even keel and not, you know, fall down that same slippery slope? I think one, I'm lucky just hit, hit like lottery with where I was born and who my parents were, you know, I, like my parents were, were together. They're amazing, you know? So a lot of the guys that I, I know personally that have gotten into drugs and struggle with that or, or alcohol, well, like they have a parent that, that had the same struggles, you know? And, you know, the same way I learned like, Whatever I learned from my parents, they, they, you know, kids model parents when they're young. They don't know any better. They learn how to be an alcoholic or how to be a drug addict. So while I had some grandparents struggle with that, uh, my parents, you know, was never part of my household growing up. So I think I got lucky in that respect. And, and I just owe a big debt of gratitude to how I was raised and by, by my, my lovely mother and my, my lovely father. So that's one. And then the other thing is probably like just this stuff we've been talking about, you know, yeah. I had to get the freak out of this sandbox. So all, all the stuff we've been talking about, my meditation helps, landmark helped, the walk helped, um, the climb helped, you know, it's like, I think all those things, you know, that, that just break you out of like your routine or, or like the things that, you know, I, I, I have an external life, right? You know, so the game I'm playing on the inside is like, you know, how, how much can I be like Ram Dass was in that moment? How present can I be in a conversation? That's like the, the inside game. But I have an a outside game too. Like I'm in LA, I'm writing songs for other artists. I do a lot of songwriting for other artists. Success in that world looks like, you know, having a hit song that I write for somebody else, this kind of thing. So you have to be, you have to do something on the external plane of your life. Even if you decide to lay in bed all day, that's still what you're deciding to do and so all this to say like external success without internal peace is is ultimately empty so i I, like pursued a few goals that were so discontinuous with my life in the sandbox that that sort of just reminded me like all that stuff is relative like you have your career and your goals in that capacity i have mine everyone listening to this has theirs but like like my goals don't matter that much to you. Like, cause you're not in the songwriting yeah. world. Like, you know, I could ask other kids. It's like, it's not that big a deal to like, anyway, I don't know if I'm making sense, but basically like I've done things that I, tr- I hope remind me that like all the things I'm pursuing on the external plane are not that important. You know, it's like, what if I went to Everest and I didn't make the summit? It doesn't really freaking matter that much, you know, <laughs> like that's it, you know? Speaking of Everest, like you, you gave up a lot to do the walk. You gave up a lot to do Everest. You gave up, you know, touring. You gave up, you know, writing albums. You gave up writing songs. You gave up a lot of stuff personally. Like other than just saying that you climbed Everest, like what made that experience worth it for you? That moment on the summit, Doug, you, can, you can't really explain it. You know, it took everything. Like I can't explain how hard it was. It's the it's the altitude, the lack of oxygen that that I never felt anything like that before. You know, you take one step, two steps, and you're just pain. like you take literally one step. It feels like you just sprinted 400 meters all out. Wow. I'm not exaggerating. There's like a fraction of the oxygen in the air. So, you know, that feeling you do a hard workout like or, or you know, like a re- like not a, not like a long zone one run like if you do like a sprint workout or something and you take that breath 
and it kind of like hurts at the bottom of your lung for a few breaths and then it goes back to normal you know a few breaths later you know what that feeling yep you get that feeling from just sort of like walking there and you know here we do that sprint workout you know your breath will recalibrate after what a minute two minutes your your breath might have that feeling like you're trying to catch it for a day 24 hours it's horrible it's it's really horrible and uh at the same time it's like so beautiful and you climbed through the night on the summit day so we left at 8 30 p.m it's a dark there was a group of four it was a bunch of people i was actually you know you hear all the stories and people get too hot and we start climbing i was like i'm too hot too freaking hot so they stopped and like i had to take a layer off and all these people passed me and mind you i'm on a team of four it's me dr john my coach dawa dorje and dawa cheering local nepali guides we're climbing and there's a natural resting place called the balcony and everyone's sort of this couple hours into the climb on summit day and the, the whole climb about five days so this is like uh, day four or day, day four day five of the climbing it was longer for us because we got stuck in a snowstorm long story and uh i said look when we get to the balcony we'll stop everyone else is going to stop 10 15 minutes we'll stop five and let's pass everyone because i don't want to be in a line you know those lines can be deadly up there so we did exactly that we passed everybody but there was still uh four people ahead of us and it's dark you can just see you just see the headlamps up above and then uh we eventually went went by that group uh dawa cheering and i and john dawa dorje and then our friend eric's was like he he went there was two more headlamps in front of us our friend eric's and uh, pemba and they had gone too freaking fast they had left too early and like they were waiting because you don't want to get to the summit in the dark you know it's like and so they're like sitting there waiting and then john was like, hey you know i think we should go now so we end up being a little ahead of them all that to say like the sun i'm i'm at 28 20 now twenty nine thousand feet and the sun is rising i mean come on like this is a different kind of sunrise uh, this is the top this is the highest place on the planet earth yeah i mean they're like you'd be a snowstorm down there you look at the weather, you're above the weather. People don't realize that mountains have shadows. So the sun is rising and it's like, I'm looking out at this giant pyramidal shadow that Mount Everest is casting over Nepal and the Kumbu Valley. It's just breathtaking. And it took a year and a half of being all in. I climbed 71 mountains with Dr. John before we got to Everest and a lot of those were like risky, you know, where we're doing stuff with no rope and like I'm finishing and I'm shaking. I'm like, dude, why? Like, if, if there's a rope on Everest, why do we have to do this? You go, Dr. John, say exactly when we get on that ridge, you're not going to feel scared. And I didn't. I wasn't scared of the heights or anything. I was scared of the altitude and my own fatigue level. You know, you're always worrying do I have enough in the tank to get down, up and down? <laughs> Anyways, I get to the top. And Dawa, Dawa was the first uh, person to summit that day, my guide. And then he looked back at me, gave me a hug, and I just sort of flopped onto the summit. 
and tears just poured out of my face and the words, uh, this took everything, dribbled out of my mouth. This took everything. And uh, it's one of the most beautiful moments of my life, for sure, man. You know, talk about being present. <laughs> you don't have to work. You don't have to meditate up there to be present. It's like in that moment, that's, that, that's, that comes with the territory there. And uh, yeah, then you got to get down. You're only halfway. You know, you're halfway. So you got to get down. You got to get down safe. You know, that's that's where we were there. That was not our, it was not our goal to summit. It was our goal to summit and return home safely. And, and that's a big distinction because a lot of people die on the way down or they should turn around, but they are so close and they work so hard that they'll ignore the, the obvious signs of their, their own fatigue and they'll go get to summit, but they don't have enough energy to get back down and, and they stay there forever. And so, uh, you know, we were only halfway, but we, we, God willing, you know, we, we got back down safely. That's the most important thing. Yeah. And, and that's so beautifully said. And, and thanks again for, for sharing that. I think it's super relevant in terms of so many people, they just see success at the top of the mountain. They don't see what goes on on the climb up and not just the climb up for you, but the preparation where you spent a year and a, a year and your, a year and a half of your life preparing for this moment, climbing countless mountains that were challenging before that like sacrificing everything in order to do this. And it just seems that it's completely changed you as a person forever. Um, since you've, you have accomplished so much, I mean, you've been nominated for a Grammy, you've written some, and you've written and sung some amazing songs. You've done the walk, you've done Everest. Do you ever struggle now, like getting like an itch being like, man, do I need to do something again? Like what's next? And, and if so, how do you, how do you uh, manage that? There's no uh, shortage of things that I want to do in my life, that things that interest me. It's probably too many of them. Um, so I do like that feeling of of being all in on something. But for me, being all in making an album and the walk across America in, in one respect are very different things. Like I've even said earlier in this conversation that they're very different things. That one's in the right. sandbox, one is not, blah, blah, blah. But often the approach and the way they feel to me and their execution is very similar where it's like, I'm just all in on this. I'm going to work on it till it, till it happens. And, uh, so the approach is the same. I like, I like having something in my life. I'm all in on, you know? So I, I that, if there's an itch, there's that, but it doesn't necessarily need to be scratched by something adventurous or, um, or life threatening. It can become a, a artistic pursuit or, um, something I want to study or th this kind of thing. Yeah. And right now it seems that you're all in on your health and this has been a big part of your transformation. So talk a bit about like what has really going all in on your health done for your mental health, done for your emotional health and who you are as a person. Look, man, there's no like magic bullets. I think in life, you know, uh, I wasn't that far off. So I'm not like, uh, probably not the best case study. Like I getting my macros right i was eating lentil you know these kind of things but they weren't like you know maybe organic or they're coming you know so like my i've just set, stepped up sort of like my sourcing and like my macros were always like in pretty good shape but now like just making sure it's organic or growing it myself sprouting it myself or, or going to the farmer's market looking the guy in the eye that that grew it so look like I think I'm more, I'm optimizing more and more the health, my health and, 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 uh, the stuff I'm putting in. And for me, it's a long game because I have 
the genetic disposition for late onset Alzheimer's. And like, I just don't want to get that, you know, like I, I have a lot of people, the elders in my family have that in it, you know, it's like, whatever I can do to not get that, you know, um, as far as like how I feel mentally, like, look, like you just want to give yourself the the chance, like life is hard enough, right? Like there's enough like days where you feel resigned or, or uninspired. And it's like the reason for, like that's going to happen anyways so I don't want the reason for me to have a bad day being like I shoveled a bunch of crap down my face and like now I'm just tired and like I can't show up. Like sometimes I like I don't show up anyways because life just hits hits you. Life will come at you. And it's like, well, whatever I can do to minimize that, you know, like I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And like sometimes it happens anyways. Great. But it's not going to be it's not going to be at the fault of like me throwing down cheeseburger and fries, you know? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. And I, and I think like health is, is wealth, right? And I think it's inspiring that as somebody who's as busy as you are personally and professionally over the last decade or so that you've made it a priority and really taking the time to adjust and be hyper-focused when you've needed to. I know now you're, you're studying to become a Wim Hof instructor. Like what's the, what's the motivation behind that? Well, I got really lucky. I've, got, I've been able to train with Wim twice now, personally. And uh, that freaking breath technique, I, I know you practice it with your buddies and, and, you, and you're, you skipped yours today to do this. So thank you. So, you know, you can't explain it until you do it. It's crazy how powerful it is. I mean, like we're talking, you feel like you took a dose of psilocybin or something and like you did it. All you did was was breathe. And, um, that's why Wim will sort of use these like strong words, but it kind of makes sense. Like he's saying, it's, it's your birthright to feel like this. And it's true. Like you, you, it, the air is given to us and, and, you know, you can breathe in a certain way. And it's like, you blast the frick off, man. It's like, you're talking about sounds in the ego. It's like that, that blabber box in your head is so quiet and like, feels like every cell in your body is just tingling and i just couldn't believe it the first time i did it i was like i can't believe it's this powerful it doesn't even make sense it really doesn't make sense because it's so asymmetrical that like the input is breath air and the output is like this this high transcendent all borderline psychedelic feeling and, and some people i just led like a mini workshop here with just for some friends sharing it and like one of the guys that did it, like he hallucinated, you know, I, that doesn't really happen for me, but like, yeah, I just feel like every cell in my body's tingling. Anyway. So I was blown away by the technique, the, the cold water. I, I, I already liked cold water, uh, but it kind of just like took that to the next level. Now I got two, two freezers in my, my garage here that are at one degree Celsius, 33 degrees, you know? Fahrenheit. I've sort of been, I just got out of one. I told you for record. That's why I've been sort of shivering the whole, whole interview. But same thing with that, you know, it's like you just feel high for hours after afterwards. Um, so I like it because it feels good, you know, and for people that don't have a meditation practice, like if you give me 30 minutes to lead you in a technique with two of your friends, like it's going to work. You're going to feel it, you know? And, um, so I think, uh, it's a really beautiful practice that I love, like for my own life. And um, I just thought, you know, like I want to share this thing. I want to share this thing. And so, yeah, I've been, I've been studying to become an instructor. I'll, I'll finish like 
first quarter next year where I'll be officially certified. Nice. So are you going to go around and just lead workshops or is this going to be something that you do privately or just something that you do for your friends once you get the certification? I already kind of do it for friends. They told me I could, you know, you can share the technique, like, like you do it with your friends, you know, right. You can't, I can't like, you know, before I'm certified, I can't like go online. Hey, I'm doing a Wim Hof workshop, you know, use his name and all that stuff before I get all the, all the training. But my, my, look, I just want to share the thing. It's not like going to be like, I don't look at it as like some, that's how I'm going to make money or something like that. It's like, um, I sort of envision um, sharing it with some of the guys and girls and and uh, people in the music community. Like I'm, I'm heavily involved, like with songwriters, producers, artists. So I think sharing it with them while I'm while I'm here in LA, when you know, kind of work on music Monday through Friday. I sort of have this fantasy of like Saturday, you know, having a group come here and uh, and showing them the technique and. Um, just for whoever needs yeah, as much as I can share the thing, you know, so I'll freaking, you know, I'll talk about it on, on social and people can do this, you know, to do the Wim Hof technique, you don't have to become certified. Like that's to teach it, you know? So do I, I want to share it, just talk about it on social and, uh, and then teach people in person, you know, just wherever I can. Yeah. That's awesome, man. You continue to, to push yourself. And I think it's, it's really, it's motivating to me. And I think it's going to be motivating to people listening that you've accomplished so much. You've achieved so much on a personal level, on a spiritual level, on a professional level. And you just continue to challenge yourself to, to be a better man, which I love. And I know one of the things that you've, you've kind of mentioned that you, you struggle with a little bit is that you've, you have achieved so much that you, sh- you struggle sometimes with, with normalcy. Um, like, where are you at that with that? I mean, I know meditation and everything you've mentioned has helped, but are, have you gotten better over time with just managing times when you don't have a lot going on? Yeah, I think that's true. You know, like because of my job and stuff and even even these two kind of big adventure goals, like it's, it's just always going. I've basically been traveling incessantly for a decade. So when people are like, hey, you know, let's travel. It's almost like that doesn't even like excite me like like how how most people feel about travels how i feel about staying home like what i don't even know what that is like can i do that that seems like an adventure you know (laughs) just staying here so a lot of like um when i do struggle with it it struggles probably too strong a word but when i notice i'm restless that's that shows up a feeling of restlessness um we we alluded to it a little bit before but after when I got back from Nepal, I went went on this meditation retreat where I was just alone for um, for three weeks. And they like once a week they drop your food off in this drop box, but you don't have any interact. It's like down the road, and then you go pick it up. So you don't see anybody out. You're just on your own. And I didn't feel restless once. You know, great. I didn't have my phone. I didn't have Wi-Fi. I didn't have electricity. It was just very simple. I was meditating sitting like five hours a day and then doing an additional three hours of walking meditation. No, I never got bored. Not one moment, Doug is nuts. So I realized like the feeling of restlessness or boredom doesn't come from not having anything to do. It comes from like, I I think like being scattered, you know, on the phone or or feeling like need to do something and you don't. and, And like, 
actually when I removed the phone and the, the thing on the retreat, that, that, that wasn't there. There was no restlessness. So it's usually like, yeah, I'm like in some loop on the technology. Like everyone knows, you know, same old story <laughs> you know, where, where I get into trouble with, with restlessness. Yeah. And I think our environment creates a, a false sense of normalcy. And I say this a lot. And if you're on your phone constantly and you're creating the need to be busy and you're, ch- you're scrolling through social media and your brain is always occupied, you don't know anything else. So that when you're just sitting at home and nothing's going on, of course, you're going to feel restless and you're going to pick up your phone or you're going to try to fill your calendar with something. But when you're away, like you were saying for three weeks, like by yourself and that phone and that, that new sense of norm, that phone's taken away and you've, you're creating this new sense of normalcy. Now you're like, wow, like it's peaceful here. Like this actually feels good. It's like, I don't know if this is too crass of a metaphor, but it feels like taking the condom off life. You know, it's like all the senses became heightened for me where I was eating like a very simple meal, avocado. And it's like, whoa, this tastes so good. And the sense of hearing, like, you know, the first four days, like, I didn't really hear the birds. You know, you hear some of them, but on the fifth day I woke up and I'm like, there's a symphony out here. You know, there, there's words I just didn't even hear before because, like, the mind's talking so loud. Blah, 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 and it's like, yeah, all the senses become heightened, you know, when can be create some stillness with the with the blabber yeah. box in the head you, you, you named your blabber box what was it charlie is that what you called him? charlie that's right yeah yeah so this, this you know we all got a voice in our head that's talking talking to us you know and if you really watch it and that's what i do on that that retreat it's like create an awareness that's that's watching the voice you know or listening to the voice um usually the voice just is us that we think that voice in our head is us it, it's not so if you create some time for yourself to just listen to it and then see what's there when it's not talking and create some space between your thoughts, that'll change your life, you know, because there's a conflation, like there's a distinction between the voice and you. And most of us live as if these are the same thing. And so when you create some time separate, though, that'll change your life, just that one thing. And uh, when you really start to like, bring awareness to the voice, you notice that the voice is kind of like full of crap, you know, it's saying things you don't even believe in, you know, it's negative and good Lord almighty is it repetitive, you know? So when I'm on that retreat, like this voice, and yeah, nicknamed it Charlie, it starts saying, it's just feeding me the same thought. It's like, Hey man, we like, I'm still on the meditation cushion. Like I heard you tell me that, you know, 15 times in the last, 30 minutes and like here it is again you know bringing up this memory of a of a guy that yelled at me in utah four years ago and it's like got it thank you thank you charlie that's why i say i say when i noticed that i have been lost in like a thought thread i'll say thank you charlie in my head thank you charlie and then go back to my breath back to my mantra you know back to me like how did you come to the awareness that you like needed to pay more attention to the thoughts that were running in your head. I think I was just curious about the, the, like the solitude, you know, start off like the same way, like, you know, the walk, like what happens if you go spend more than a day, like really alone, this kind of stuff. And then, um, reading, reading the books, power of now. And that's all I'm doing there, you know, is I'm, I'm practicing the power of now exploring, you know, what's there behind that, behind that voice. Turns out there's a lot. And we all have one, right? We all have one that just tries to 
destroy our day. You know, it talks down to us and it's pessimistic and complains and it's cynical. But like you said, it's up to us to develop that awareness around that voice and then change how we view it. Do we change that? Do we view the voice as something that controls us or we just view that voice as something that's just there? Yeah. And, and realize it's not you making a distinction between the voice and you. It's big. Yeah. That's big. Yeah. Amen to that. Well, Mike, this has been amazing. You're a great storyteller. You provide such incredible advice. And I think the listeners are going to get a lot out of this. So I want to thank you for your time. If, if people want to connect with you more, I mean, the best place to do that is, is, is on social media and on your website. So where can people find you? Uh, just under Mike Posner on all the, all the things, TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff. Just popping my name, Mike Posner. Um, that's where, that's where I'm, I'm sharing my stuff. And also, let's not forget Spotify, you know? So I got about freaking 10, 10, 11 albums out there. You can, if you want to want to go deep, um, they're there. Right. Oh, so the last question I have on this really quick is, so out of all the stuff you've put out, like you go back and you're like, man, you, I, you listen to that song of yours. Like, what's your favorite? I don't have a favorite song, uh, but my best album, I think, it, it, it's my opinion, you know, because... Someone I don't you know someone else might feel differently, but for me, the album I'm probably most proud of is called "A Real Good Kid." A real good kid. It's got an orange cover. Um, that's the one I, I'm I'm pretty darn proud of how that turned out. Awesome, man. Well, I encourage everybody listening to this to go check out Mike's music, check out his social media, check out his videos of him sprouting. And um, for those listening, what I also invite you to do is to share a takeaway. Maybe it, was, maybe it was something that Mike said about his journey with Everest. Maybe it was something that he said about his journey with the ego. Maybe it was something that he said about dealing with, with fame, um, how he takes care of his mental health, like whatever it was, tag Mike, tag myself, because we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and we'll see you next time.